And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky, an attorney and partner at the law firm of Mauk and Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys who focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. You can learn more about us by going to maukbaker.com, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or calling 312-726-1243. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for news about faith and the law. Today we're going to be speaking with Amanda Freeman and Jeffrey Schwab, two Malk and Baker alumni whose organizations were involved in Janus versus AFSCME, a high-profile Supreme Court case recently decided in favor of workers' rights. Jeffrey Schwab is a senior attorney at Liberty Justice Center, where he litigates cases to protect the rights to free speech, economic liberty, private property, and other constitutional rights in both federal and state courts in Illinois. Liberty Justice Center is a nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest litigation center that seeks to ensure the rights to earn a living and start a business are available to all and fights to protect other fundamental rights in Illinois and beyond. Amanda Freeman is currently a staff attorney at National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. National Right to Work is a nonprofit charitable organization with a mission to eliminate coercive union power and compulsory unionism abuses through strategic litigation, public information, and education programs. They advocate that every individual must have the right, but must not be compelled to join a labor union. Amanda, what is the right to work and why is it important? The right to work is an individual's right to have a job in the United States without being forced to pay dues as a condition of employment, and those dues can be anywhere from $30 to $120 a month. And the reason that it's important is many individuals have different views on whether or not they support the union, and then delving even deeper is the public versus private sector factor in that in the public sector, the question is, are those dues supporting an entity that is you know, lobbying the government? And that's vital for any individual because they would like to control over how they spend their money, but not only that, whether or not they have to do so as a condition of employment. Okay. And uh, what was the condition for before Janice was decided for a public worker who didn't want to join the union? For a public worker, if it was a non-right-to-work state, they could be required to pay dues as a condition of employment and thereby be forced to subsidize this lobbying organization, in essence. Okay. Jeff, what is AFSCME, and why did Mark Janice decide to challenge them? So AFSCME is a uh, a union that represents, I think, uh, it's mostly state and local, most entirely state and local government employees, and um, they uh, represented the class of employees that Mark Janus, who uh, used to be a child support specialist uh, for the state of Illinois, 
was employed by. So um, Mark, as a condition of his employment in Illinois prior to the Supreme Court's ruling in June, uh, was required to pay, uh, even though he was not a member of the union, was still required to pay uh, union dues, and I think they were about 80 to 85% of what the full union dues were, um, that were called fair share fees, which were uh, purportedly to cover the fair share of the union's uh, negotiation and uh, uh, of the collective bargaining agreement and other various representational activities that the union provides for uh, it's the class of employees that it represents. And why did uh, Mark Janice decide to challenge them? Well, uh, when Mark uh, when Mark joined uh, the uh, he was in the pr- in private sector for a little while, and when he uh, became started his employment, uh, he uh, got his first paycheck and and said, "What is this? Uh, what is this fee going to the union? I didn't join the union." and thought that it was uh, rather unfair and um, asked me um, generally lobbies for uh, positions both in the collective bargaining agreement and um, using uh, in politics that uh, that Mark disagrees with. And so he said, I don't want my money going to this organization that lobbies for things that I don't agree with. And so uh, we uh, and Mark were connected and uh, along with the National Right to Work uh, and we filed a lawsuit back in 2015 challenging these uh, these fair share fees as a violation of the First Amendment. Thanks, Jeff. This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky of the law firm of Malkin Baker. You can learn more about us by going to malkbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com or calling 312-726-1243. Today I'm speaking with Jeff Schwab and Amanda Freeman about the recently decided Janus case in the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Jeff, uh, why would the union want to force Janus uh, to pay dues um, if, if he's not a member? And, and why is that a bad thing? Well, um, the union says that it's because it covers the cost of uh, its uh, representation of Mark because the union is compelled by law, although the law is something that the union lobbied for, um, requires uh, the union to uh, represent non-member employees in in the group. Uh, in the class, and uh, and so they say that it's only fair uh, that that Mark has to pay uh, his share, and that that if he doesn't, that he's a free rider. But uh, obviously, um, there's other reasons that they would want uh, that. And what we're talking about is people that wouldn't otherwise voluntarily voluntarily give money to somebody. Um, being able to use the government to force them to give money means that you're going to have a lot of uh, people uh, giving money to you that might not otherwise uh, do so. And uh, also it makes it a little bit easier because uh, regardless, you don't have to necessarily uh, uh, satisfy uh, the the employees that you represent because even if a lot of those employees decide that they don't want to be members, they still have to pay you. So uh, there's certainly uh, an incentive of, uh, of, of convenience in, uh, in there too. So if if the union has to satisfy its 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 members or the workers that it represents um, in order to get that money, it may do a better job. Isn't that right? Yeah, and 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 uh, and also 
presumably will do a better job of actually representing the interests of the employees that it represents. So um, that's uh, what we think uh, could be a, a positive outcome for unions um, after Janus. Amanda, do you know how this fair share uh, allocation that uh, non-union members have to pay is computed? I mean, who, who decides what's a fair share? That actually was a question that was raised before the Supreme Court in Abood, and and that was the public sector case, and the court said, well, individual employees, you know, they can object, but they don't have the accounting books that the union does, so how would they know what costs are what germane to collective bargaining is the coined term? And so the court put the onus on the actual unions to produce what's called a Hudson Notice, proving that this is what their money is spent on, this is what can be chargeable pursuant to the cases out there, and this is what's non-chargeable. And so there's this whole process that has been set up to establish the union's claim of a fair share fee, which then an individual can object to, and usually it goes through an arbitration process or various processes, and it's the Hudson notice in the public sector and the Beck notice in the private sector. That sounds like a pretty complicated process. <laughs> it is, and thankfully the court saw fit not to put that burden on an individual employee who, again, has no access to this information, but rather on the unions to prove that what they are charging you is a legitimate cost. Okay. And uh, how did, uh, Nash Amanda, how did the National Right to Work Foundation get involved in the Janus case? Well, the posture of Janus was actually interesting because Governor Rauner filed the case at first against AFSCME, and Mark Janus stepped forward, and as Jeff mentioned, you know, when he stepped forward, he filed, and I believe there were two other employees in this situation, they filed to intervene in the case um, with support from Liberty Justice Center and the National Right to Work Foundation, and the courts granted the intervention, and in the process, the foundation and keeps an eye out on cases that are out there impacting employees' liberties and freedom of speech. And this one ended up being a good vehicle to go forward. And, you know, again, with Mark Janus stepping forward, being able to challenge his right not to pay these fees as a condition of employment. So it was important that, uh, that Janus joined uh, the Illinois governor in, uh, in this lawsuit. Yeah. Yes, correct. Uh, and as I tell many of my clients, it, we couldn't do what we do without individuals stepping forward and being willing to stand up for their rights. And without Mark Janice and then the, initially the other two employees who had been part of the lawsuit, it, we wouldn't be where we are today with the Janice victory. All right. Uh, Jeff, uh, once uh, Jan Janice stepped forward, how did this case start to, to move forward? How did you uh, get the case going? Well, um, we filed a, a motion to intervene, and at the same time that the court decided whether Governor Rounder had standing, uh, it also decided whether we could intervene. And, and so at the same time, the trial court decided that Governor Rounder did not have standing and removed him from the case, but it said that, uh, that uh, Mark Janus and these two other plaintiffs did have standing and allowed them to intervene. And so effectively... Uh, Mark and these two other employees became the plaintiffs in the case. And so it was really lucky that uh, uh, you guys and these individuals came forward, because without that, the case would have been thrown out. Yeah, absolutely. Coming up, we will talk further with Jeff and Amanda. 
about the Janus versus AFSCME case. This is Whit Brisky. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky, a partner of the law firm of Malk and Baker, and we're talking with Jeffrey Schwab and Amanda Freeman about each of their organizations and what they do to defend constitutional liberties. In particular, we're speaking about the Janus case recently decided by the Supreme Court. Amanda, what were the legal issues involved in the Janus case? The basic legal issue at the core was just whether or not government can force an individual to pay fees to a union as a condition of employment. And that does that violate their freedom of speech and freedom of association? Because AFSCME in negotiating with Illinois over the terms and conditions of the employment was negotiating over budgetary information, things that impacted the state of Illinois. And so the argument there was that the union was a lobbyer, lobbyist in essence, uh, lobbying the government for certain terms um, to be put forth. And so to overcome and to actually present this theory, there had been this prior decision by the U.S. Supreme Court called Abood, where the Supreme Court had approved the government forcing employees to pay exclusive representation, but only those for political or ideological um, activities deemed, but not, sorry, for activities that are political or ideological. So in order to get this issue addressed, um, the courts below had to affirm based on a boot so that it could get before the Supreme Court to have this issue addressed of whether or not under the heightened standards that are applied to First Amendment violations, whether or not it is proper for the government to be able to do this. And thankfully here it did make its way all the way up to the Supreme Court so that this specific issue could be addressed and the court could decide, do we overturn a boot? and actually address the constitutional violation at issue here. All right, and so this is a a legal theory which doesn't really apply to the private sector because you don't have the same problem of the union and government workers being involved in government negotiations and government issues and political issues. Correct. This specific theory couldn't transfer over into the private sector. You know, whether or not there's arguments in the private sector on exclusive and um, this grounds of, you know, forced fee, that's a matter for another day. All right. Jeff, how did uh, the Supreme Court rule uh, and what was the rationale that they used? Well, the Supreme Court ruled that, uh, first of all, that forcing um, individuals to pay a union as part of their employment amounted to basically forcing them to endorse ideas that they find objectionable, and it found that violates the First Amendment. But the main question that it had to decide was whether it should overturn Abood, and um, and the Supreme Court um, tends to be very wary of overturning previous decisions, um, and only does so if it has good just uh, good reasons to. Um, and in this case, the Supreme Court went through. Um, the reasons of Abood and found that they were wanting. So, for example, Abood found there were two justifications for allowing these fair share fees. One was labor peace, and the other was the risk of free riders. As to labor peace, um, the Supreme Court found that that interest could not over uh, overcome 
the First Amendment uh, violation. So, and, uh, as everybody knows, I think that the First Amendment is not absolute. Um, there are uh, reasons that the government can intrude on your free speech uh, or free assembly rights. Um, but in this case, labor peace was not one of them, the Supreme Court has found. And, uh, and then the second justification that Abood found, the risk of free riders, again, the Supreme Court said that free rider arguments um, uh, are not sufficient to overcome First Amendment objections. So uh, it found that those two justifications given in Abood have uh, not been in other cases uh, used or sufficient to overcome uh, First Amendment free speech all right. Uh, Jeff, what was the, the vote in the uh, Supreme Court? So it was uh, a five to four uh, decision and split on what people would consider the traditional um, sort of party lines or, or conservative liberal lines. Um, and Justice Alito wrote the decision. It was joined by uh, Gorsuch, uh, Kennedy, uh, the chief, and uh, Thomas. And uh, Justice uh, Kennedy has now left the court. That's right. Uh, Justice Kennedy, um, uh, on the same day, actually, uh, that Janice came out, announced that he would be retiring from the court. And obviously, I think uh, your listeners probably are aware that Justice Kavanaugh, now sitting on the Supreme Court after a uh, very contentious uh, uh, confirmation hearing, uh, has replaced him. Um, but... Most uh, commentators don't think that on this particular case that uh, Justice Kavanaugh would have been a different vote than Justice Kennedy. Thank you, Jeff. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky of Malkin Baker, and we're speaking with Jeff Schwab and Amanda Freeman about defending people against infringements on their constitutional rights. Now, Amanda, what practical difference has the Janus decision made for individual public workers? The practical difference is that individual public sector workers, as long as they are non-union members, can work without being required to pay fees as a condition of employment and um, without their consent. And that's an important note and a distinction that if you're still a member, you still are required to pay dues or fees as a condition of employment because it's like a gym membership. You choose to be a member, you're going to pay those monthly dues. Um, but the impact is that individuals can resign and continue their employment without paying that fair share fee to the union in order to continue doing so. Well, I, I, do you know whether uh, a large number of uh, workers have resigned uh, from the union once they're, they've been freed of the obligation? Do you, do you know that, Amanda? Um, that statistic isn't known right now. I do know there's like there is a number that has that have resigned, but the union prior to this decision had, you know, cried that it would just have a horrible impact on the unions. It would completely um, undercut what they are doing. But yet, at this time, the articles and things that I've seen have indicated that there hasn't been this mass flood of resignations. And I think it goes back to, I think, one thing Jeff said, that it'll, this decision will encourage unions to actually do what they're supposed to be doing. And so presumably they've started to step up and do their job. But yet individuals, I do know there's a small number, just not probably the large number that people were thinking it would be. All right. Uh, I, I do know that in Wisconsin where it wasn't, uh, it, it happened before the Janus case, there was a substantial decrease in union membership, at least among teachers. Uh, Jeff, what do you expect uh, the impact of this decision 
will be on on state government and public workers more generally? Sure. Well, just to add to the last uh, question, uh, you know, uh, anybody who was a fair share payer before was automatically had their fees stop paying, uh, stop going to the union. So uh, for all those people, and that, that can be a big members, number. Right. So that uh, that automatically stopped. There are, are no uh, governments that are withholding fair share fees from from the dues. The question with uh, people that were union members prior to Janus is whether they can they can withdraw. And um, there is some issue that they are having because many of the collective bargaining agreements have uh, windows that these workers can only resign from for their membership from. Uh, during uh, and usually those are like during the work anniversary every year or during a 15-day anniversary. So a lot of workers since June haven't even come uh, on to that anniversary, and there's some question about whether they can be held to have to continue paying the union until that anniversary. And for others, uh, the um, the window isn't until the end of the collective bargaining ag- agreement. In some cases, that's not for four or five years. So um, so I think as time goes on, you'll start to see more than, than have already opted out because of those barriers. Um, but to answer your question about uh, the impact, well, of course, for workers, it has a tremendous impact in that they get to keep their money and that doesn't have to go to an organization they don't agree with. But um, for the unions, um, obviously unions lobby uh, the government and uh, their abilities to sort of take money from uh, from people that, that were unwilling and then negotiate with government employees that then they use um, that they use that money to go to political causes that support those very people that they uh, that they later negotiate with um, obviously um, sort of tips tilts the scales uh, in one sense and so the loss of that money should actually reduce uh, the tipping of that scales, you would think, um, but the impact, the direct impact of how much is, is of course, unknown. Yeah, so it kind of level the playing field uh, uh, with respect to these uh, donations. All right, Jeff and Amanda, we appreciate your coming and speaking with us today. And uh, how can people learn more about what you're doing? First, Amanda. Uh, they can go to the website, nrtw.org, uh, to learn more in every area aspect, public and private sector, and then myjanusrights.org. And Jeff? And uh, they can go to libertyjusticecenter.org and to learn more about Janus, standwithworkers.org. These are both uh, great organizations, and uh, I would urge uh, the listeners to visit these websites and see what they're doing. If you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243 or at malkbaker.com. That's malkbaker.com. Malk Baker is a Christian law firm based in Chicago, which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal needs. Call us and mention Lawyers for Jesus for a free consultation. Again, our number is 312-726-1243, and the website is malkbaker.com. If you missed part of this show or part one, uh, please go online to malkbaker.com forward slash radio. Don't have to save somebody. 
city, you're gonna have to serve somebody. 